Yeah, I think that there's a power of association that comes with the BTA in today's world where the social conversation is so dominant around gender equality. The WTA offers a an alignment platform that is very interesting for for brands and we reach the types of fans that those brands want to reach as well. So yeah, it it is an interesting proposition for our brand because women do make a large percentage of purchasing decisions and so if you if we're creating content and a brand wants to align with it then the content is created for them, it's authentic, it's organic and it works. Mickey Lawler is the WTA Women's Tennis Association president and someone I have learned from consistently over the past two decades. She is always trying to solve the next problem with an opportunity that satisfies all. It's a trait I've always admired. Our discussion shifts from the global growth of the sport to the differences of the fan groups in the 90 countries represented by professional women's tennis players. That's right, 90 countries are represented on the WTA Tour, greater than any sport in the world. As Mickey shares in the pod, the most recent WTA Finals offered $14 million in total prize money, greater than the ATP equivalent on the men's side an unbelievable result and accomplishment for the sport. We also touch on the players, the key drivers of the sport, and their nonstop travels and challenges, and how Mickey and the WTA are going to evolve and enhance the sport and the players in the future. The biggest highlight in 2019 was um, probably our biggest challenge. And, uh, and that was moving the finals from Singapore to Shenzhen for a record prize money of $14 million. And that, of course, was a historic moment in, in tennis because for the first time, the women's purse was higher than men's yeah. uh, for the final eight. And that actually, I believe, pushed the men to do an, an RFP um, last year to see where where they could where they could go next and they're going to Torino, Italy. So um, it's obviously not just about those symbolic mom- moments or prize money, um, but it is about you know taking your crown event and and the event that the WTA owns from a an Asian hub uh, traditionally in Singapore and a place that we loved and where they were great to us to a new place in China. And, um, and Shenzhen was, it was a fantastic experience. It is an amazing place. It is definitely a city that is going to be known to everybody. It's a city of the future. It's got um, many, many millions of people and it's a tech hub where Tencent um, and Alibaba and Pingang are headquartered and many more tech companies. Um, and, uh, and it's got a very young population. So we, um, we went into the Shenzhen Bay Arena, the sports arena, and, um, and it was a, a great success. It was a lot of work, but it was a great success. So that was a big relief and, um, 
And, you know, obviously when you look at something that big, it overwhelms you and you've got a massive responsibility to deliver on vision. And, uh, and while there are many things that we can improve on, uh, that was a big one. What, what is, the what is, other, oh, keep going, keep going, Mickey. No, I, I was going to say that the other big moment was for us here in the States, um, the launch on Tennis Channel and, uh, and what that meant for, for us and for the Tennis Channel. Uh, the Tennis Channel more than doubled their viewership and we, um, we actually, got very, very good ratings in the U.S., um, and so that was that was another one, and, well, there were many, many others like it. We um, announced a deal with Amazon for media in the U.K. starting in 2020, and, um, and so those are a few of the highlights. Yeah, so have you had a second to, to breathe and just feel like, in terms of being proud of what your, your athletes have done, what your, how your fans have spoken up, how your corporate partners have raised their hands to achieve that goal of the final eight. And yeah. the, I mean, what's that feel like just in terms of proud for the entire organization? Yeah, that's actually the reason why you never take a moment to, to breathe. But uh, I remember standing and next to Elena Svitolina and Ash Barty um, after the final match in Shenzhen and looking at the big Shiseido backboard and thinking, you know, wow, our partners, Jem Dale, Shiseido, WLY, SAP, Porsche, we all did this together, Dubai Duty Free. So, um, so it, it was amazing i mean it, i think i felt it felt as though it was a historic moment and you're very right in saying how proud did you feel for your athletes and and your partners because it is about them and um and on our side it's about executing um to add value to them and to uh, allow them to grow and and um and i think that we did that thanks to their contributions. Mm. And as, so, you, as you travel the world, I, I hate to ask how many days a week or weeks a year that is, but what, what about your fans? Or, or is the rabid nature of your fans, is it the same country to country, continent to continent? Or I guess what are the differences that you see across your fan groups when you travel the world? So what you see is in traditional tennis markets, mainly in Europe, um, in Europe and South America, where we don't have any events in South South America, but we do have in Central America. Um, but in traditional tennis markets, you see the fans that have the homegrown generation through generation tennis fans, the kids that watch tennis with their parents that play tennis, there are a lot of tennis courts. When you fly over, you see a lot of clay courts everywhere, and um, and so that's your your the person who really knows tennis, who for whom tennis is a part of their everyday lives. And then you have, um, and actually here in the states, you see it in the south, you see it in California, you see it when you go to the U.S. Open. Although the U.S. Open is a 
very wide um, group of fans because, you know, it's such a, an event that you can have people there that have never been to a tennis event ever in their lives, or you can have people there that have been there with their grandparents and their parents. And so you get everything. Um, then in the new markets, like, for example, when we first went to the Middle East, and that was against all odds, and we went to the Middle East and we we thought, you know, are, are men going to come and watch? Are women going to be allowed to come and watch? And, and we saw progression over there in terms of, I remember the first time that we were in Doha and um, I was actually at a gym in the hotel and I was getting dressed at the gym because there was something wrong in my bathroom. <laughs> anyway, so I was at the, at the gym and the attendant came and she, she handed me this wool, this robe made of wool. And she said, you need to wear this. And, and I said, you're joking. It's a hundred degrees. I can't wear this. And I have towels, you know, I'm very discreet. And, and so is that not, not good enough? No, you, here's the rule. You need to wear this robe. And of course there are only women in the, in the dressing room. And that has changed hmm. a lot. Um, so, so you see now where there were no little girls on tennis courts in the Middle East 15 years ago, now there are a lot of little girls. And now there is a huge focus on physical fitness and sports and, and you know, tennis is woven into the fabric of that. So, so those fans are becoming, you know, more the kinds of fans that actually play tennis. And, and so um, it has been really fascinating to watch that evolution over over time and you see the same thing in china in china when we first started with um uh the china open and guangzhou and then it grew very grew very rapidly actually while i was still at octagon and um you guys were a big part of that um so in China, it was there were not a lot of participants, but the stars aligned perfectly so that um, when when the circuit structure changed and we put a one of the WTA's four major events in Beijing, and then Lina was was up and coming and uh, she started becoming a top player. It just drove a massive amount of um, of interest. And uh, and participation has gone up tremendously in China as a result, and so so that is a brand new fan, really. Although you know, there those fans are quickly giving birth to new fans, and and again, there's a generational um, exponential growth, if you will. But um, but yeah, that's that's a little bit how how it differs, and. Uh, uh, but it's it's just it's heartwarming because you know you see these people who who love it and they you know it's had an impact on their lives and so that's that's why you do it. I mean, you mentioned Lena. I would think that tennis, more so than any sport in the world, uh, and certainly the WTA. If you look at the top 50 list, I don't have that in front of me, but I have to imagine in the top 50 uh, athletes in the world, you have more countries represented than any yeah. other women's sport in the world, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and so we the ability... We have athletes from over 90, 90 countries. Wow. Wow. And mm-hmm. 90 countries. And, and tournaments are played in how many of those 90 countries, do you think? 30. Wow. That's incredible. And so of those... 90 countries and the, you know, the top 50 from many countries. Just how about fan engagement and what you see every week, every day with uh, your players out there engaging with the youth, engaging with uh, at clubs or just trying to instill the greatness of the sport for generations to come? So what you see is really interesting the, the athletes first move their nation. And uh, so if you take, for example, Simona Halep from Romania, she's had an incredible impact. I mean, Romania is a tennis country, and they've had former champions like Nastasia and Tyriak, uh, Virginia Ruzic, and, uh, and, and others. Um, so it is... It's always ready for tennis, but um, you see how how fans engage with Simona and how they are really a part of of her her life and her world, and um, and so that gives her a, a very big base um, in Romania. And then you know, of course, as an athlete uh, performs and wins big titles and wins Grand Slams. The, the base becomes much more international, but the the number of fans and the number and the, the volume of business that one athlete can drive in in her country is astounding. Mm. And so, of course, Lina, you know, being Chinese, breaks all records because it's China. But you've, we've seen it in Germany with Steffi Graf, we, with Stephanie Graf. We, we've seen it in. Um, and, you know, here with the Williams sisters, and of course that's a global phenomenon, but, um, but you, you see it, uh, with, uh, Caroline Wozniak in Denmark, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a movement. It becomes a movement. And I, and I know you've talked in the past about brands and wanting to be content publishers and how all sports have evolved so much, uh, how about just the state, I guess, of the WTA and how your mind thinks of content and technology and the future involvement of the sport? Yeah, I think that there's a power of association um, with that comes with the WTA. And um, in today's world where the social conversation is so dominant around gender equality, the WTA offers a uh, an alignment platform that is very interesting for for brands, and um, we reach the types of fans that those brands want to reach as well. So, so yeah, it it is uh, an interesting proposition for our brand because because women do make a large percentage of purchasing decisions, and and so if you if we're creating content and a brand wants to align with it, then then the content is created for them. It's authentic. It's organic, and um, and it works, mm. and it's relevant today to today's conversation. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to um, you know it's easy to find sponsors to invest. It's still 
really difficult because, well, because it's expensive and because um, you need to prove ROIs. There's there's a lot of, um, you know, still speculative um, value in this investment. And, uh, and then the tournaments have their sponsors, the players have their sponsors. And so you need to build a WTA, a, a more macro story around it. And we've done that very successfully with our partners. Yeah. But um, they will all tell you that we love them and we hate them <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, that we... It's like you're part of a family all of a sudden, and there are challenges, you know. Um, and and new, like for example, we relaunched our website, and and of course, you know, there are many emergencies that have to be fixed, and we used an old logo here, or we didn't um, integrate the new tagline, and things like that. That um, that you're you're you know, you just have to be alert all the time and avoid those sorts of situations. Yeah, and, and speaking of web and just social and digital, I'm curious. I struggle myself trying to keep up with the latest and greatest and use my kids, I think, to show me the, the best of TikTok because by the time I've finished Snap, TikTok's already at a billion plus. Yeah. I imagine we're all using our teams but uh, to learn and how much time do you spend or, or look at those platforms and your teams around you just in the space of Insta, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot, a lot of time because um, it, is, it is where you're going to find your, your younger fans and it is very important for the sustainability of the sport to be relevant to younger fans. And that's always been a discussion around tennis is, you know, the fans are dying fans. Well, that can't happen because the sport hasn't lost its luster and it's, you know, still a great sport. So how do we, how do we get to the younger fans? And it's through those social platforms that, that you, you do that. And, you know, I always would, would believe that, um, you know, even when I was at Octagon, using, or using is a bad word, but but um, understanding where your kids are consuming sports is very valuable if you work in sports because it, it gives you a window into what's coming down the pike. And my kids have always been very... Um, well trained in in terms of you know I would I would ask them about you know for example I remember years ago getting a lesson on Vine and you know whatever happened to Vine, <laughs> um, but um, and then you know watching Trevor kind of conduct the um, the football pools and and every other pool with his Excel here and social there and and um, you know red zone and it's. It's um, it's like you know I, I've said this before too. I think it's like the cockpit of an airplane when you watch these kids manage. Well, they're not kids anymore in my case, but manage all of that. So it's uh, you, it's very very important in our space to um, to be in touch with younger generations and understand where they're going. And if you picked one or two items that are 
deeply important for you as you head into 2020 to advance the WTA forward? What would be those initiatives or goals? Um, well, it is, you know, I find it very hard to, to make a break at the end of the year and, and then, you know, have new resolutions for, for next year. For me, it's more of a continuum and it's about more growth, um, more commercial success. And it is about getting our stakeholders to support making slight changes that will propel the game forward. Um, and I think that um, on the on the calendar side, it is a lot for, I mean, you know, we saw it in the finals as well that, um, you know, players are tired at the end of the season and they're playing a lot. So how can we, how can we better manage those that play deep every week and on whom the burden is, is so significantly higher? Um, how can we help them stay healthy and, um, you know, still, and still please everybody because it's, um, you know, when you're managing a sport like that, you're, you're trying to please a lot of masters, you know, masters that are beginning their careers, masters that are ending their careers, masters that are top players. And, um, and every, every ranking section. And that is hard. So, um, so getting everybody to understand how the top, the value that the top brings is, is one. And then, um, getting as many people to come to our events as possible. And also the challenge that we have is that, you know, we play seven days a week. So people have to work on, um, Monday, Tuesday. Well, they have to work during the week, right? And so, um, it's harder to get butts in seats on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and even Thursday. So it would be great if we could look at that and, and see if we could focus more like golf does towards the end of the week. And for the rest, 2020 is going to be more hard work and more um, trying to to dive deeper into what we're doing, you know, next level of the marketing campaign it takes, next level of social engagement, uh, content creation, supporting our broadcasters, our commercial partners, and, um, and getting the best possible product out there for our fans. And that's The Bond. Thanks for listening.